Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation. And stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Oh, I 
Yeah. 
So if you have a Bible, you can open along with me a familiar place of scripture to us that still contains a depth of the mysteries and visions of God, which God, with the coming of the end of times, reveals more, deeper, and wider. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
The sermon that I would like to continue is called Call to Perfection. This promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. To fulfill this command, we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person. What purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill? Specifically, we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we, with the law, died to the law, so that we could live for the one who died and rose, is comprised of us receiving the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. If a person has received salvation but has not affirmed it, will not place it into circulation so that he can affirm it, then he will lose it and his name will be blotted out of the book of life. God says, I will throw you out. We have noted that the righteousness of faith in our heart is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the gospel word spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. And I want to repeat this, that there is a big difference between the faith of God, of which Apostle James said, there is difference between the faith of God and our faith. Our faith is obedience to the faith of God, and the faith of God is the information that comes from God. Faith is from hearing the word of God. But not all had believed this. Isaiah says with, with sorrow, he says, Not everyone believed the good news. Lord, who has believed what has been heard by us, and to whom was opened the arm of the Lord? Who? He searches for people. In his time, he could not find a person in Israel, and he had asked the Lord, Lord, who? Who can acknowledge you? Who can hear you? This same prophet says, Israel could not hear. Their heart was stiff, and they could not hear. And seeing with their eyes, they could not see. And hearing with the ears, they could not hear. And they could not comprehend with their heart and could not turn so that God could heal them. Today, the majority of Christians, or so-called Christians, are found in this kind of state. And therefore, the covenant of peace, or the promise of peace, is given to only those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God. Therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is a 
the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God. In previous services, we, in a certain format, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, have already studied the first six signs, signs that we are truly the sons of God and sons of peace, and we have stopped to study the seventh sign. This is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Holy means selective, because the holiness of God always separates that which is pure from what is impure, holy from unholy, good from evil, curse from blessing. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Meaning, the peace of God can reign or rule only in the atmosphere of God's love agape. And therefore, according to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only one under one condition if the selective love of God abides in our hearts. In the selective law of God, which is the goodness of God, it contains good, wonderful, eternal, and incomprehensible to our mind goals of God that are called to build unique and peaceful relationships between God and His children. So God builds relationships only with His children. This is a book, a Bible, for the children of God. It is not for the world. The world lies in evil. This is for children. This is the bread of life. These are the thoughts of God that are sealed inside and outside. And only God, with His mercy, finds people in each congregation, in each Christian assembly to whom He reveals or uncovers these truths. He clothes them with the powers of a reader so that he could transfer these thoughts to saints because they will receive their faith and their affirmation through hearing the word of God. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't study the Word of God or read it. The more we read it, the easier it will be to understand the one who reads for us. In Scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in the Gospel Word of the Apostles and Prophets in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8 through eight. This is practically the fruit of the Spirit that contains these ingredients. And each individual virtue is dissolved in one another, they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. Just like if we were to take uh, a cup of water and we would pour different kinds of powder in it and we would and if we would dissolve it, we'll try to uh, try to separate this powder if you have already mixed it in the cup and all of it has already dissolved and mixed and has become one. This is referring to this kind of fruit of spirit in which all of these ingredients are present. All of them are combined into one and they 
they are found in one another. Because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and what's most important is that they verify the authenticity of one another. Second, these virtues in our heart are called to be the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ and in Christ Jesus. I am going based off the fact that is written in 2 Peter. These virtues presented in seven characteristics are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with of which Peter said that it will be revealed only to the in the end days. He himself had fully understood that a part of the promises that are hidden are hidden from him and from other apostles. They can speak of them only as a, as if foreshadowing something, but God did not reveal them to them fully because they the saints of the end times will have this treasure this was spoken to Daniel so that he could be comforted because he couldn't quite understand those visions that God had given him and he said Lord master I don't understand and the angel who had shown him the vision said be comforted this is not for you this is for my children of the end days. Go and be comforted. The wise of the end days will understand. The wise are those who have accepted in their heart the truth of the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ. And therefore, God places into this kind of heart his truth, the Holy Spirit who could reveal the truth in the heart. And therefore, we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues in the light of seven unearthly characteristics only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. The means we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. So, humility because the faith of God is transmitted through apostles and prophets who has believed what he has heard from us to whom was opened or revealed the arm of the Lord not everyone had listened to this good news seventh by inheriting these great and precious promises in the fruit of our spirit we literally are made partakers of God's essence because of which the proclamation of the faith of our heart becomes equal to the words coming from the mouth of God for a true virtue expressed in the seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God when it becomes to be proclaimed by the mouth of a person, it has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. Lies. A person says, I love you, whereas he, in fact, doesn't. We are living in a unique country that unlike any other country, uses this word, I love you, so freely. Just like that, just like that, I love you. A person absolutely does not like the other person. He still asks, how are you, I love you, and so forth. But he doesn't love. He absolutely doesn't care about how you're doing. 
for us who have come out of that country, I love you is a very heavy word. And for us to express it, sometimes it's very difficult for a person to express it. He has it inside, but he can't quite express it. He does not uh, find the possibilities, enough words to, to express it. But here it's freely said, I love you, I love you, and I love you. And therefore the nation has completely changed or distorted this word. If you say, I love you, this word must be heavy, beautiful, magnified, great. It must clothe the one who you love with this greatness. He must immediately become alive by this because love is God's life. It destroys death in his body and it calls him out to life. But when you are told, I love you, and you feel that you don't, you are not loved, you are hated, you are envied, then this I love you becomes a unique form of curse. When the wicked and lawless people had left our church, one of them had said, I still love you. I said, just don't, please, just don't even use this word. Don't use this word. If you say, I love you, but leave the church, imagine a husband leaving a wife. He has fallen in love with another one, and he says, my love, I've, my dear one, I've loved another one. Just know that I still love you. What is this woman going to endure when her husband leaves her, um, cheats on her, and still tells her, I love you? Of course, she experiences a shock. She might even end up in a psychiatric rehabilitation center because this I love you will destroy her. We must understand that the love of God, if he says, I love you, if he says, I love you, that's why he says, I love you, therefore I have favor upon you and have given you my son. For who? No, not for the whole world, but for those who are his children, but have ended up in the captivity of sin, who are tormented by sin. Many Christians are so-called, quotation and quotation are Christians, they're not tormented by sin, their conscience does not condemn them. They have justified sin, and these are the sons of devil. But if you are found in sin, and you are tormented by it, this means that you are a child of God and you are righteous. You will say, how? I'm a sinner. Sinner. It is written, the righteous shall fall seven times, but get up. If you are tormented by sin, what kind of a sinner are you? Apostle Paul says, if that which lives in me is evil, and I don't want it, it means that it's not mine. It means that it has taken me captive, it has held me captive. And God holds his captive child, his, his child, because righteousness was given to this child not because he had earned it but according to the great mercy of God through his grace because this person is accepted as a gift and he, God does not impute this sin to him and if he falls in sin God says to him son, daughter I am on your side you are righteous it is Satan who will tell you that you are not righteous it is these people demons in the flesh who are going to tell you that you are not loved 
They are those people, wicked, or demons in the flesh, who justify their sins. They will tell you, why do you not wash your feet before service? Why do you not wear head coverings? We wash one another's feet in that we forgive one another. Because Christ had clearly said, the washed, the washed are cleansed through my word. Interesting, our whole body is cleansed and washed from the word, but for some reason people still believe that they still must wash their, their feet. For Christ has shown an example. We, through the word, must wash the feet of one another, meaning to forgive one another as God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. This was an example. This wasn't a commandment to wash one another's feet in the little, literal sense of the word. This was an example. This was a commandment so that we could forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so, we began to study the selective love of God in the format of seven virtues that we must demonstrate in our faith to reign the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God in the seven virtues is unconditional. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, his omnipotence and his absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. Whereas the tolerant love of man toward man can be, can be easily used for selfish purposes. Here are how the pages of scripture define the strength of the love of God. This is written in Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a person would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. The love of God is the all-consuming fire of love. The fire of Satan is all-consuming hatred. These are how these fires differ. One expresses hatred, the other expresses love. It is impossible for a person who is clothed in hatred and envy to abide in the fire of God. Who can abide in the fire of God? He who walks blamelessly, whose hands are cleansed, whose heart is cleansed from dead works. And the level of the love of God is defined by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. You loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So one so God has anointed us with the oil of gladness more than your companions, Hebrews 1.9. This, there is um, a kind of confession out there that call themselves, um, call themselves one. They don't accept the Trinity. They say that the Trinity is one face having three different names. 
And when these kind of places of scripture are mentioned to them, I, I said, how can one point one with the oil of gladness more than the other companions? Then they become lost in their beliefs. There are very many places of scripture that contradict them. I said, how in Daniel does it say that those who are vigilant define it? The vigilant are the one who are the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it talks to them as different persons and not as one person in three different names. We must know God, the God whom we serve. In Hebrew, the word God is never written in the it's written always in plural and there are Gentiles who in their mind can't comprehend how three persons could be one but God he looks at as man and woman as one body and I had said to this confession how do you look at it this that two shall become one flesh how does the son say he referred to him as a son he says I will bring you to the Father. He doesn't say that he's the Father and he doesn't say that he is the Holy Spirit. He says, I will go to the Father and I will pray to the Father and he will send you another one, another comforter. The truth of the Spirit, it shall be with you forever. And he says, Father, when he, he prays to the Father, Father, let them be united as we are united and let them be united in us. And how do you, this confession, look at this or interpret this when millions of people are united with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and they call themselves one? The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Take a look. This is not the tolerant love of God. It's selective. He loves one and he hates the other. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. This word sees in the original text means that his countenance shines up upon beholds are upright he falls in love in the upright or the righteous because only by loving what God loves and hating what God hates do we demonstrate the perfection of God in his reaction to the good of righteous people who do good and the unrighteous people who do evil and lawlessness it is elective love of God according to its unearthly nature in the format of seven supernatural virtues that is called to bring us to the full measure of Christ or to the perfection that is inherent to our Heavenly Father so that we can shine with the light of our Son on the righteous and unrighteous, and pour out our rain according to the intentions of God on the just for blessings and the unjust for punishment. Considering that these seven virtues do not have analogies in the earthly dimension of the human lexicon, nor any dictionaries of this world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral law that reveals in our heart the essence of God as well as the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love that is unconditional only in relation to those people whom it chooses 
to understand it. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. The property of our Heavenly Father is to foreknow. It comes from His omnipresence. Being omnipresent, He simultaneously abides in the past, present, and future. That's why He has foreknown, before we were even created, before the world was created, He has foreknown and predestined each of us. When you want to do something, and in your head you already have a plan how to do this. He had the same plan in His mind for each of us, how we are going to be. And God does not copy, meaning He creates one thing and then copies from it. He creates unique things. And not one person is like the other. Not one person is like the other. Each has its own difference. And all of them, by nature, are children of God. And therefore, God, each of us, has foreknown and created. And that's why he had already seen us. The world was not created yet, and he had already created us, and he had seen us, and he had fallen in love with us. He saw our falling and our suffering, and he had prepared our deliverance, and he had said to his son, Son, you must pay a price for this because you are going to be responsible for that which I am going to do, and you must pay the price of your life. And the Son, before the creation of the world, had said, I am going to fulfill your will, my Father. This is what it means whom he has foreknown. He has foreknown and predestined and said that when this person comes across the truth, he will accept it. He is not going to begin to distort it. Even if he will not be able to successfully fulfill it, he is going to fall while trying to fulfill it, but he is not going to distort it. He is not going to add on to it or take away from it. And that's why God has fallen in love with these people. He has said, I have enough power to bring you into my perfection. I have enough power for this. When you accept my word that abides forever, my pure, my fresh word, that does not decay, and when you begin to proclaim it, I will take this proclamation and I will clothe you into it, and you will see what I'm going to do with you, for there is nothing impossible for me. Just follow me. To follow him means to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God and call the inexistent as existent. And so, thanks to its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the legal rights in relationships with those people whom it selects, and it never allows the sovereign rights of its master to be violated. In a certain format, we have already studied the manifestation of the selective love of God in the virtues of knowledge, virtue, self-control, and patience, and we have stopped to study the virtue of the love of God and the mystery of her godliness. 
And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And all this God has done through his church, through us together. So that it could be made known to the world the great wisdom of God. Each individual face represents a unique characteristic of the wisdom of God. When Christ had said, I am a light to the world, and when he was leaving, he said, You are the light of the world. In doing so, he had demonstrated that he can be seen only by the light that you will shine. When the demon had said to the sons of the priest who had wanted to cast out the demons, how, as Apostle Paul had done, they had spoken to him the name of, of Jesus, and these demons had said, We know Paul's name in hell, but your names we do not know, that they know Jesus and that Paul is known to them. But who are you? Jesus does not know you, you do not know Jesus, and your names are not known in the underworld. In the underworld, demons knew names of saints. There were many saints that Paul had cast out, and they knew his name. And in this manner, in heaven, in hell, and on the earth, the name of God is made known through us. It is through the manifestation of the fruit of godliness that we can identify the true love of God, agape, in the heart of man as well as his thoughts, words, actions, the way in which he dresses, and uh, the way in which he dresses, which he must not excite the sexual instincts of the opposite sex. We mentioned that there exists a key difference in the godliness of God demonstrated in his favor toward man from the godliness of man, which he must demonstrate in his love to God. God will never demonstrate his favor toward a person until a person demonstrate his favor to God. God had shown him his love, how he has loved men. He sees that the Son of God has died. He sees this world and he begins to fall in love with God. He begins to have favor to God and then God begins to have favor toward him. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And therefore, the godliness of man is his favor to God. It's his goodness toward God and his gratitude. It is his ability to look upon orphans and widows and their afflictions. And it is uh, the ability to keep oneself from being defiled by the world. It's the ability to imitate Christ and think of what is heavenly. It is the ability to see God and his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And God's godliness with relation to man is his goodness in relation to man it's his grace in favor it's his favor in propitiation it's his gratitude and grace his good deed and good giving it is his good in its absolute sense despite these characteristics that are called to yield the essence of godliness a forgery of godliness exists that will challenge the true manifestation of godliness and all of this again occurs among the people of God 
having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Second Timothy chapter three verse five. I already told you before, um, but at one Episcopal church there was many um, one Episcopals, and one of them had said, "We have not uh, denied from godliness." We don't have the power of this godliness, but we have not denied it. We want to have it. But here it's not written, if you want to have it, then you don't have it. I want to have that which I do not have. That means that you just simply don't have it. And if you don't have it and present yourself as an Episcopal or even a Christian, what kind of a Christian are you if you don't have godliness? A Christian is uh, first and foremost a godly person who fears the Lord. If we do not break off relations with people who only have an outward appearance of godliness, as it says here, and from such people turn away, uh, those people with tolerant thinking, they don't understand this. They say, God loves everyone, therefore we must love everyone. But here it says, from such people turn away. And if we do not turn away from them, then they are going to corrupt our godliness and consisting of our good morals. Because of this, we together with them will inherit the destruction prepared for them. And with regard to this, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. With what characteristics does scripture endow the godliness of God and man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill in the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to collaborate with the godliness of God? And by what sign should we define that our godliness truly collaborates with the godliness of God? In a certain format, we have already studied two signs of the fourth question with which we must verify the cooperation of our godliness with the godliness of God. The first sign is to be able to be the clouds of the Most High or to be led by the Holy Spirit. The second sign is by our collaboration with God in our rising from the grave in which God has hidden us and concealed us from the wrath of God. He calls out to us and we answer him in this state. And he brings us out from the grave. The third sign by which we must test to see that in showing the selective love of God, our godliness cooperates with the godliness of God. It's by the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalms chapter 23 verses 1 through 6 of Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down green pastures. Many of you have it memorized. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Ye, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, in goodness and mercy, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Evidence that God is our shepherd in this psalm of David are four components. This is, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures, the Lord leads me beside still waters, the Lord restores my soul, and the Lord lead me, leads me in the paths of righteousness. 
to test and weigh ourselves on the scales of justice, to see if we have these components, should be done by the presence of four other components that are discovered when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will feel no evil because God is with us. The Lord's rod and staff comfort us. God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And fourth, God has anointed our head with oil and our cup runs over. With regard to these components, it will be necessary for us to study each one of them in the light of Scripture. And so the first component states, the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. From the meaning of this statement, it follows that if in the congregation in which we are members, the word preached does not reassure us and does not give us hope for deliverance from the old man with his deeds and for the erection of life in our body. This means that the congregation in which we are is not a pastor. Because a green pasture is an image of eternal life given by God in abundance of young green grass in the form of all kinds of grass representing the preached word of his messengers. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. Psalms 104, 14. And God cannot be our shepherd on pastures that are not green and do not have eternal life contained in the revelations of truth that lead a person into the unsearchable inheritance of Christ. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. Songs of Solomon 1.15 A green bed. An image of a green bed on which a person can rest and communicate with God is an image of Jerusalem. It is Jerusalem that is a green bed in which worship in spirit and truth must occur. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem, in church. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and his indignation to his enemies, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 13 through 14. If our communication with God in the house of prayer does not discover itself in a green bed in which the life of God brings joy and comforts our heart, this means that we do not have godliness that could cooperate with the godliness of God. The second component states, The Lord leads me beside still waters, which in Scripture resist stormy waters. And as much as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh that flow softly and rejoice in resin and in rem Remaliah's son, now therefore behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over all his channels and over all his banks. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. You already know that the king of Assyria, these stormy waters, this image of stormy waters, is an image of our mind, of our human mind. 
If a person does not fall in love with still waters that represent the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ in his spirit, then these stormy waters will drown him. His mind will begin to interpret scripture so incorrectly that in this interpretation he is going to drown. This interpretation will not save him but drown him. And therefore, still waters are the revelations of God that lead a person to comfort and rest in God, whereas stormy winds are a product of the pride of human intellect expressed in the unbridled action of self-serving ministry to God. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. This is what God said to Elijah. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. This doesn't mean that this was from the Lord. But before expresses himself in still waters, our mind is going to represent this storm, these winds. Go out and stand on the mountain of the Lord. The mountain is the church of Jesus Christ. The Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after fire a still, small voice. And this is where the Lord is. First Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 12. If our service to God in the house of prayer does not meet the requirements of still waters, we have no godliness that could cooperate with the godliness of God. Imagine, I think you have been witness, and perhaps some of you have been in these stormy services when the church had walked or had been trembling from such from worship. People could not withhold themselves and began to dance around. When a person sitting all the way in the back couldn't, didn't know what to do with his eyes, when a half-naked woman would shake her body so much where he wouldn't know, he wouldn't know where he came. And there was one who had come to our church. He was in our church. He had recently repented, and his friends had taken to him to a charismatic or so-called charismatic church. He, when he came from there, he said, "Pastor, I was in bars." But what I had seen in this church, this was not it. They had behaved themselves in such a way that I said to my companion who had brought me there, take me away from here, otherwise I'm, I, may be, I may be about to rape someone. So all of these so-called praising women had brought him into such um such a sexual state where he was completely enticed by this. When I had first come here, I had uh, seen these kind of services before, and we didn't have this. And at first I thought, we don't have this, and they do. It means that they have such power of God. And when we had sitting down, and there was a brother who was an American who was sitting right next to me, he had uh, lifted his leg. Imagine if you were to raise your leg on the chair right in front of you. And I saw that people weren't uh, weren't bothered by this. And this and this brother took some gum in his mouth and began to fall asleep and snore. And then I thought to myself, this is an anointing. What kind of anointing is this? Where during this music, during this rhythmic song 
he had jumped, rejoiced, and then as soon as the word of God began to be spoken, he would sit down and fall asleep. The third component says, The Lord restores my soul, which indicates the fact that when we are tired and exhausted in the confrontation with the old man, God will protect and support us. In Hebrew, restores is to support, help carry the burden of responsibility, to make steadfast and firm, empower with his powers, give back evil to our enemies, our enemies who we give evil back to are is the demonic world, they are the wicked and lawless people, and they are our old man. The rest enemies we love. Our household, this world, and carnal people who are also our enemies, we are called to love them. To destroy our enemies with the truth and refresh and restore our strength. This is what it means. This is what the word restore means. Or the Lord restores my soul. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. Psalms chapter 54 verses 4 through 5. Cut them off in your truth. God is my helper. I want to... Usually I say this during uh, marital unions. Your helper. Though a wife will be your helper. But here it says, God is my God is going to be your helper. Say to me, can you place God on a level lower because he's your helper? Because for people, the word helper means I am higher and she is lower. I remember when I had just come to America and when I had come to a Russian church. And after church, I had preached uh, and there was one brother who had come out. He had many children and a wife and his wife stood beside beside him and I was talking about our correct relationship uh, toward our wives and a husband or wife toward her husband and this man had said this is how you should be with your wife he threw the keys and his wife had uh, looked at him in fear and he said to her go open go go to the car and he said to me this is how you should be with your wife and another man had come to me and said complained he had looked at uh, my wife uh, and our, my relationship with him he said it's good for you brother you have a wooden cross I have a steel cross so do you understand he referred to his wife as a steel cross that he had to carry around they had thought one another or they are crosses to one another and he called her a steel cross and he thought that he, she was uh, lower than him but here it says in this scripture God is my helper so in Hebrew, the word help, helper, I will remind you, means he will stand with him, he will stand for him, and one more meaning, he will stand against him. What, is this, what kind of meaning is this? How, uh, why do these meanings go against one another? But they don't. This is referring to the fact that if we fulfill the commandments of the Lord, God is going to stand with us and He is going to stand for us. If we begin to violate the commandments of the Lord, He is going to stand against us. And that's why the rabbi, when he had um, performed a marital ceremony to Jewish people, he would say to them, do you give a promise that if your husband 
follows the Torah, you will stand with him and for him. She says, yes. And then he says, will you give a promise that if your husband leaves the Torah, that you are going to stand against him and leave him? She would say, yes. Only then he would perform the ceremony and complete it. See, he doesn't place the husband as a pastor and say, as I have heard a sermon from a sermon of one charismatic. He obviously had, uh, his brains were like cabbage. He would say, if you, he said to the bride, if you see that you are higher spiritually than your husband, try to uh, try to make yourself lower a little bit because he is a pastor. A, ha- a husband in the house is a pastor. Can you imagine if everybody gathers and every husband is considered a pastor? There is no order. But this is how many people believe. This is how Baptist Pentecostals Charismatics preach. But this is not so. This is how a wife must be, like God, a helper. Look at her role, look at the great role she has to be a helper. God through her is going to do something. He is going to do that which the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is a helper. If you allow your wife to do something, she is going to do it. If you don't allow her the opportunity, she won't. A helper doesn't mean she is going to do something for you. She, they're not going to do something for you. He is going to help you. If you sit on the couch, raise your legs and don't do anything in the house, This doesn't mean that she's your helper. It means that she's your slave in the house. God in relations wants us to have helpers, and He is our helper. And therefore, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. And our soul can only resist the corrupting desires of the old man living on our body when we lose it in the death of the Lord Jesus and then find it in a new capacity in the resurrection of Jesus. To give God the foundation through his truth, it's written here, cut them off in your truth. If to give God the foundation through his truth to destroy the corrupt desires of the old man living in our body, in this truth, again, we, we must express as the faith of our heart. It is necessary to accept this truth in the heart in the format of a seed through instruction and faith, and then to confess it with our heart in the format of the fruit of our lips as the faith of our lips. Psalms 3617. If we do not know that in our body lives two spiritual people in the face of the new man and the old man, two spiritual people in the face of the new man and the old man, because the word spiritual could mean a quality and it can also mean just a state. This is referring to a state. And we cannot distinguish them by the nature of their impact on our soul, then God will have no reason to restore our soul, which is on the side of the old man. He upholds our soul, restores our soul, when our soul is on the side of the new man, when it has submitted itself to the old man, when it is ready to fulfill the directive of the old man. And so, if in resistance with the corrupt desires of the old man, God does not restore us, we do not have true godliness that could cooperate with the godliness of God.
The fourth component states, The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness, which indicates the fact that this person is led by the Holy Spirit. And so again, paths of the Lord, paths of righteousness are met in Scripture, are, may, are mentioned more than 2,000 times, more than anything, because... Uh, and so we're going to have to uh, stop and talk about this component for longer than we normally would. Uh, those components that are mentioned less of, we spend less time on. But those components that we talk more of, uh, or that are mentioned more in Scripture, we're going to have to spend some more time on them. Therefore, this is one that we're going to stop to talk about for some time. Again, the Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. Because it is impossible to lead a person on the paths of righteousness against his will, if he does not understand and does not distinguish the paths of righteousness from the paths of his mind or from the paths of the wicked and lawless who support the wicked. The paths of the righteous are the snares of the Most High, while the paths of the wicked are their snares into which they catch unapproved souls. In Hebrew, the path of righteousness is a snare of righteousness, step of righteousness, foot of righteousness, trace of righteousness, the path of righteousness to the wisdom of God, growth, increase, and expansion on the paths of righteousness, partaking to the body of Christ on the paths of righteousness. Proceeding from such multiple meanings, which determine the essence of the paths of righteousness, in order to understand how God guides us on the paths of righteousness and to test ourselves on the subject of what spirit we are led by, the Holy Spirit or the spirit alien to God, in a nutshell, we must consider some of the purposes of the paths of righteousness in the presented components. It should be borne in mind that all these components which determine the purpose of the paths of righteousness are dissolved in each other, are in each other, support each other, and determine the authenticity of each other. The property and character of a path of righteousness is defined in the heart of a person as a shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The, the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Proverbs 4, 16 through 19. A shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day is an image of the expanding revelation of truth in the heart of a righteous person who uncovers God's goal in the adoption of our body through the redemption of God. Because revelation is light. And as soon as it is given, it is given in the format of a seed, and it is uncovered in fruit on this path. So a path of the just or the righteous is that path on which you accept the seed of the promise and then grow it when it matures or when it ripens. If the truth about the adoption of our body, the redemption of Christ, does not shine in our heart brighter unto the perfect day, this means that we are not giving God the basis to lead us on the paths of righteousness. He is not going to be against He is not going to lead us on the paths of righteousness. And in order to give God the foundation to lead us on the paths of righteousness, we must dedicate ourselves to being disciples of Christ through our sanctification, in which we are called by the cross of the Lord Jesus, 
to die to our people, to our Father's house, and to the corrupt desires of our soul. If, by the cross of the Lord Jesus, we did not die to our people, to our Father's house, and to the corrupt desires of our soul, this means that we have no godliness with which we could collaborate with the godliness of God. The property and character of paths of righteousness in the heart of a person are defined by the ability to hold fast to the steps of the Lord, despite the fact that we will think that we have been left by God. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So gold is refined in fire. Let him test me so that all my impurities and foreign thoughts could be cleansed. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is unique. And who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore I am terrified at his presence when I consider this. I am afraid of him. Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 15. Take a look. The wicked and righteous, uh, excuse me, the righteous person and just person does not step away from the Lord. Everything was well in his life. And then all of a sudden, he ends up in a situation uh, where he can't find God who had previously always been with him. He goes forward, he is not there. And backward, but he can't perceive God. What he does on the left hand and what he does on the right hand, he doesn't know. He can't see him. He is left... Um, left by him, but he still has inf the information that God has not left him and that his foot holds fast to God's steps. And this exciting event describes the state of a complete impoverishment of a person in which he, with the cross of the Lord Jesus, removes the authority of the old man with his works. This person at the time, this is what a person experiences at the time when the old man is, is removed. It's the state in which a person is subjected to desecration, ridicule, and betrayal when the people closest to him cheat on him and turn away from him, but God is silent. But he had previously answered him. In the state for Job, the path of the Lord which he firmly held were the commandments of the mouth of God, from which Job did not depart, and the words of whose mouth he kept more than his own rules. If we do not experience similar circumstances in which God, in a time that was difficult for us, suddenly became silent, while our fe feet or our leg in the format of our faith could firmly hold fast to the Lord's path and the dignity of His commandments, it means that we have no godliness with which we could work or cooperate with the godliness of God. Next, the property and character of a path of righteousness in the heart of a person is defined by the ability to, walking through the valley, valley of Baca, open springs from which the rain will cover the valley of Baca with blessings.
because of which a person will go from strength to strength and receive the right to appear before God in Zion. To the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! As they pass the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. They rain also, the rain also covers it with pools or blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Psalms 84, 6 through 8. The sons of Korah are Levites from the tribe and clan of Korea, or Korah, who rebelled against Moses and Aaron, who with their wives, children, and cattle went down to hell alive. Given that this revelation comes from the sons of Korah represented in the status of seers, it follows that not all the sons of Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron and shared the beliefs of their father regarding the calling of Moses and Aaron because they had died to their nation, to the house of Korah their father, and to the corrupt desires of their soul. And Moses, when he had blessed Levi and his descendants, he said, Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, meaning I have died to them. Nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him, and of those who hate him, they, that they rise not again. The fact that the sons of Korah gave the revelation to the chief musician says that they were aware of the importance of the order of God. They were an organic part of Zion in the face of the body of Christ, and they were led by the Holy Spirit. An instrument of Gath that was used by the sons of Korah is a musical instrument taken as a trophy in victory over the Philistines living in the Promised Land. Gath is one of um, the main cities, cities of Philistine. Given that we view these events in the body of a holy person who has accepted in his heart the promise that relates to the door of our hope, the image of the overcome Philistines in the body of a holy person is a cleansing of the rational sphere of the soul from the evil thoughts nesting in the heart of man and warring with the rational sphere of the new man represented by the mind of Christ. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness, that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 14. And the image of the instrument of God in the body of a holy person is the organ of his mouth, cleansed and dedicated to God. First, these mouths had served the Philistines, and now these mouths are lips. On this instrument of Gath, the sons of Korah sing songs or psalms to God. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. We are talking about uh, the instrument of Gath. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is what Isaiah has said when he had met with the Lord in a vision. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar, tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. So now, this instrument of Gath 
had made something else in quality and character. Now you can praise God with this instrument of Gath. The valley of Baca in which a person opens springs from which rains cover the valleys of Baca with uh, tears and blessings. It is the good soil of man that is cleansed from dead works in which a person receives the seed of liberation from slavery and considers himself dead to sin and alive to God, calling it the inexistent existent. And when he accepts this seed, he accepts it with tears. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bring his sheaves with him. Psalms 126, 4 through 6. The springs opened by a person in the valley of Baca is the fruit of righteousness, which God has grown from the seed of the promise that relates to the door of our hope. The rain that covers the valley of Baca with blessings or pools is the time when with the power of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, God erects the power of life in the body of a person. The phrase, they go from strength to strength, each one appears before God in Zion, means they come from the power of the seed sown in the soil of their heart by the fruit raised by God which gives them the right to appear before God in Zion, which is his home in which he dwells. If the revelation about the power of the seed of promise pertaining to the door of our hope is absent in our heart, God cannot be our shepherd and our strength is not in God. Because of this in our heart, there are no paths directed towards God. And therefore, we cannot have the fruit of righteousness in which we could consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the non-existent as existent. Because of this, we do not have a field in which we could give, uh, we could have godliness that could cooperate with the godliness of God. Our time has come to an end, and therefore, together we will pray right now. And those who desire to call out their dependence on sin, fear, fear of illnesses, fear of premature death, fear of poverty. I call you out to this altar. You can come here and the Holy Spirit on this place. He will show you his power in the proclamation of the faith of your heart. Only your proclamation could become material for the Lord that can save you to destroy the power of death in your body and lift up the power of resurrection. This time has come, and because we have become witness to this revelation, we will become witness to its fulfillment. Because before this, in Christian literature, you will find nothing like this. It was hidden from former generations of Christians. And if God has revealed it, then we are truly found in those end days. Let us bow, bend our knees and bow our heads. May the Lord bless you. We wait for you at the altar. I will pray with you, with your prayers, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. He strongly desires and cares in destroying the power of death in your body to free you from the authority of corrupting desires. He can do this.
he needs your cooperation. Your eyes closed as an element of a mysterious room. Your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you are ready to receive from God that which he desires to give to you. The Lord loves when you raise your hands without, without anger and doubt. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with my wounded heart. You see my sin. You see my shame. You see my fear. You see my illness that have risen against me. I ask you, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Have mercy upon me. I accept your living word and the power of your spirit right into my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down upon you with his holy countenance and have mercy upon you and give you peace. May around you fall thousands and hundreds of thousands and not draw near you. May upon you come the blessings of the mountains and the dignity of the promises of God and the blessings of the everlasting hills in the covenant of an eternal covenant between you and God. And may they be fulfilled upon you and upon your descendants. And let all the nations say, Amen. Blessed is Lord, and blessed is His mercy forever and ever. And now, concluding our service, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.